Philippians chapter 3, continuing our study of this great chapter. Just got a start of it this morning. Ephesians chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled before you. We are in awe of your magnificent glory. Your creative hand calling forth everything that has been created, both invisible and visible, both principalities, powers, thrones, dominions, all of mankind, the creeping things on the earth, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, everything by your hand, by the spoken word you called it forth. And then we rebelled against you. We became enemies of you through our wicked minds and acts, destined to an eternal lake of fire as a consequence. But you, who are rich in mercy, have saved us by your grace. You've rescued us from the depths of hell, and you've lifted us up and set us at your right hand as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are grateful. To imagine a relationship with you, the living God. We say thank you. I pray, Father, that this text of Scripture would move us to godliness, to holiness, to being separate from this world and from sin, from all that would attract us and detract us and distract us, from the devil and demons, from those who are against you, from even our closest who would cause us to go astray. Father, our allegiance is to Christ. We love Him. We worship Him. I pray, Father, that you would do a great work in our church and in our hearts and in our lives, our family and our community and our state. Spread it forth, Father, to our country and through our missionaries to every country on this globe. And we give you the praise and glory forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians 3. The Apostle Paul, as you know, has spent two chapters just unloading spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing. And take time. Go back and read chapter 1 and chapter 2 over and over and commit it to memory and get the points of the Father, Son, and Spirit and all that he has done. And then in chapter 1 at the end, how he wants us to pray and how God will answer this prayer if we pray that we would know the hope of his calling the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and that we would know the exceeding greatness of the power that is working toward us who believe, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, ascended him to the right hand of the Father, and seated him above every name and above every principality and power. That is awesome. And then in chapter 2, that same power worked in us when we who were dead in trespasses and sins, he made alive by our faith in Jesus, by grace you have been saved, and he has seated us up with Christ in the heavenlies, although physically I'm not there yet. I will be someday seated with Christ on a throne. Can you see me on a throne? Seated with Christ on a throne as a son of the living God. Wow. What blessings upon blessings, right? So in chapter 3, or end of chapter 2, Paul talks about what God has done to the Gentiles and how the Gentiles, there was distance. Remember this morning? If the front of the auditorium is the Shekinah glory where God dwelt in the Old Testament, 
The Gentiles were only back here. They, they, they were distant. They were separate. They, they couldn't get any closer to God's Shekinah glory than this. And then here, the Jewish people, the other 12 tribes, could, could hang out and be close to the Shekinah glory, but that's all they could do. Unless you were the tribe of Levi, the tribe of Levi, Levi could get closer. They were involved in the priestly ministry. The Levites could be here. The other 11 tribes couldn't, but they could. But even the Levites were limited. Only if you were of the house of Aaron could you actually get the big priestly duties. And out of the house of Aaron, only one could get this close. The high priest. Do you see the distance and the separateness? So Paul says God is doing something great right now in the church. Jew and Gentile together have access Close, intimate fellowship, boldness, and confidence with our God and Savior. That's awesome. Oh, I praise God. We don't understand. We don't understand what it would be like to bring an animal sacrifice, kill it, drain the blood, carry the carcass outside the camp some 13 or 20 miles, burn the body outside the camp, and when we sin again, we'd have to do that again. Hauling animals 13 to 20 miles, depending on where we are or where the tabernacle was um, at the camp, and do it over and over, and then we couldn't even get close to God. Somebody else had to go through. We had to go through somebody else. We don't understand. We don't understand. I bow my head in prayer, and God hears and responds. Blessings, blessings, huh? So in Ephesians 3, that's what Paul does. He's bowing on his knees. He's in his rented house in Acts 28 in Rome, and as he's bowing his knees to pray, he feels the clank of the chain. He's linked to a Roman soldier. Every six hours, they would switch soldiers. And, and no doubt, as he's tugging on the chain, he's like, oh, I'm a prisoner of, of Jesus Christ here. Praise God. I have a captive audience. I can share the gospel thoroughly and, and easily. That was Paul's attitude. So look at Ephesians 3. He begins to pray, but as he hears the clank of the chain and he's reminded that he's in prison, he remembers why he's in prison. He's in prison for the Gentiles' sake. Because he is letting the Gentiles know they have free, open access to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so what he does is he does a long parenthesis, a big parenthesis, as he just pours out his heart about the Gentiles and the ministry. And then when he's done with that, he gets it all out of his system. Then he says, okay, now I'm going to pick up my prayer and I'll share what I, pr- I was praying for you. All right, so that's, we're not at the prayer yet, we're at the big parenthesis. And if you missed this morning's message, you can listen to it online. But the name of the message is The Mystery the message, and me. The mystery, the message, and me. There's three points in this text. Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. We spoke this morning, I spoke this morning about the mystery. The mystery was the truth hidden in all the ages past. Nobody had ever heard about what the church is or what it does or how it looks or what, you know, what happens until God revealed it in the New Testament. For 4,000 years, it was a hidden secret, and now God has revealed it. He revealed that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, Right? Fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise of, of Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Great thing to, it's a great thing to be part of the church. This is the greatest thing that God is doing on earth. He's building a church today. And he's using Faith Baptist to do part of it. 
And we thank him and praise him for it. So that's the mystery. And then remember how I ended this morning? The mystery, this mystery called the church. Even though I only see walls and ceilings and carpeted floors, and I see you and sitting in pew chairs, and I see decorations and all of that, that's not all that's here. There's an invisible realm that is watching us worship. And no doubt after this morning's message, the demons that are circulating Hermantown, and the holy angels as well, all the invisible powers, are watching this church building. Hey, who's coming to church tonight? Oh, I wish they wouldn't be here tonight. Oh, you can just see that there's a big spiritual warfare going on. And this church is sharing with the invisible realm the manifold witness of God, or the wisdom of God. How God in his wisdom gave us Jesus. He was risen from the dead. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And now we work as a body together to reach more dead, lost people so that they could be made alive. So we could reach more dead people so that they could be made spiritually alive. See what I wonder? See, isn't it a strange plan? Like if I was going to do salvation, I wouldn't use us. I'd be like, man, let's get the angels going. They'll do it. But here God chooses weak, frail men who have never seen him to walk by faith and obey his commands. It's phenomenal. And I bet the demonic world is scratching their head going, how is this working? It shouldn't be working. But it is. It's God's plan. So that's the first point, the mystery. Now let's talk about the message. So Paul says, I have a twofold message. Take your Bibles, Ephesians 3, look at this, verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach, here it is, among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's one message. The unsearchable riches of Christ. He needs to go to every marketplace, to every city that he can, that has Gentile people. And for us, we reach the whole people, we reach the people in our community. Peter was to the Jewish people. Paul was more to the Gentiles, although Paul preached to the Jewish people as well. But that's what God called Paul to do. Go to the Gentiles and declare the unreachable searches, unsearchable riches, well, unsearchable riches of Christ. All right. This word unsearchable, get this. It's a new word. Paul makes it up. He, he, he's like, he's trying to figure out how do you, how do you plumb the depth of Christ? He's, he used the word that's based on footprints. Like not being able to track the footprints is really the word. So literally... Paul is called to go out to the world and tell them about the untraceable depth of the footsteps of the riches of Christ. It's like, no matter what I tell you about Christ, there's an infinite more that he has done that I, I can't even declare to you yet. It's just, it's, there's more upon more upon, like this. Here, I wrote down some of them in my Bible. Listen to some of the unsearchable riches. First of all, he has taken me, a child of dust, and a child of the devil of wrath, he has made me a child of the heavenly king. Do you guys understand the riches of that? Like, who wants me to sit, in, in a, sit with him for all eternity? Jesus does. Jesus loves me so much, he wants me to live with him forever. And to be his child, not just his creature. When he made Adam, Adam was a creature formed out of the dust, breathed into with the breath of life. But when Adam placed his faith after the fall in Jesus, he became a child of God. Not just a creature, he became a child of God. One who was born of God. Born again. Isn't that a, how do you track those riches? 
Me? Man. Inheriting the wealth of Christ because I'm his son? Get this. Forgiveness of sins. You want to talk about our riches? One of the riches of Christ that is unsearchable? The forgiveness of sins. That my record of wrongdoing, my debt of sin against God, could be wiped clean. Listen to this. Hebrews 10, also in the Old Testament, in the prophets, God says, your sin I will remember no more. What kind of... How could you ever pay for that? You can't. For all eternity in the future. God the Father could bring up my sin. He could bring something against me to bring guilt and shame and condemnation. But he won't. He will never, ever mention one of my sins. Because I'm a child of his. My sin paid for by Jesus. The unsaved will get it repeated over and over. They're going to have some headphones that will just repeat sin after sin, day after day. Oh, um, July 1st, 2018, you did this, 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 this. July 2nd, you did this, 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 this. Constant record of wrong. For the believer, the slate wiped clean, no mention of sin. Is that an unsearchable rich richness of Christ? Okay, I have more. I have just a few more. I can't get into all of them because it's unsearchable. But let me give you a few. It is a child of God. Okay, oh, here, get this. You want to know the one thing that everybody in this room desperately, desperately wants? You want acceptance. You want somebody to like you and accept you just the way you are, right? You want somebody to say, I accept you, I love you. We get so much rejection. You know what we are? We are accepted in the beloved. We're accepted. Here's another great richness, rich, one of the great riches of Christ. Um, this. This body of clay. I think the scientists have figured out, based on the elements that make that compose my skin and my tissue and my blood, I'm worth about $2.94. That's actually what my elements, if you were to sell them on the market, would be worth. $2.94. He is going to resurrect my body from the dead. If I die first, before the rapture, he will raise me up in a glorified body with strength, honor, dignity, and glory. Fathom that. Fathom that. Wow. This body goes in the ground corrupt, dishonored, wrinkled, old, weak, but it comes out with strength and glory and power. See, Paul needs to go to the community and tell them this, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then how do we receive all of these? Through faith in Jesus Christ alone, apart from the deeds of the law. What a great message. Bad news, we're sinners headed to hell. Good news, Christ died for us and has saved us, rescued us. Right? There's a second message that Paul has to give. And just because of our time, I'm keeping these a little short. Verse 8 Paul says, I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And maybe you just want to start something in the back of your Bible and write those down when you come across them in your devotions. What what are one of the riches of Christ? I mean, you could have, obviously, you could fill the universe with them because they're unsearchable. But just do what you can in your Bible, and then you'll be amazed. But look at the second part of the message. Verse 9. And to make all see... What is the fellowship of the mystery? So there's a two-pronged message. Number one, 
You must be saved. You must be born again to go to heaven, to have eternal life. Secondly, when you are born again, you become part of the church. The word fellowship, man, Ed, 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 thank you for your message on Wednesday, your devotion at Praise and Prayer. It just tied in perfectly with what I'd been thinking the last couple of weeks. He brought up fellowship in 1 John, and I was like, when he brought that up on Wednesday, because he didn't know I was going to be at prayer meeting, we just came back from our vacation early, and, um, and when he brought that up, I'm like, yes, this is what I've been thinking about. Fellowship, joint partnership. Paul says, you become part of the body, and we have a joint business partnership. It's the same word used in, the, in Luke chapter 5 for the fishing business. P, uh, Peter, James, and John were partners in fishing, which meant they had a common cause. Nobody wanted, everybody wanted more fish. Why? More fish means more money in the marketplace. If there was a broken net, all three were thinking, we've got to get that fixed. It wasn't like, ah, who cares about the broken net? Let's lose a few fish here and there. No, they had a, a concern about the welfare of their gathering. So Paul says, the second part of my message is to declare to see what is the fellowship of this mystery. How you get to be part of a body where we're hands and eyes and nose and we have different functions and gifts and we're working together so that when one is weak, we come alongside and strengthen them. Right? When, when one is in despair, we comfort. When one is rejoicing, we all sing and, and declare happiness. You see, you see what I'm saying? And we, don't, we, we need to teach people how great the church is. You know, most people I talk to about the church, they're like, ugh, I gotta go. If I have to go, it's gonna be quick on Sunday and I wanna get out before I have to say hi to anybody. Wow, wrong view of the church. Wrong view. This is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. I look here, I see sons of the king, daughters of the king, sons and daughters of the king. Right? Awesome. You're sitting next to royalty. You're sitting next to priests. It's, it's, you guys, this is great. So Paul says, I need to make everybody see what the church is all about. All right? Because, this, listen, the stronger this church is in our community, are we going to impact families around our, 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 in our neighborhoods? You bet. When our neighbors are godly because of the gospel, and then their neighbors are godly because of the gospel, how does that change everything? It changes everything, doesn't it? It just restrains evil and floods light on this dark planet. You know why America's so wicked? Because Christians have lost their salt and light. True believers have lost their salt and light. So our world, our country, has just degraded into immorality and darkness. And we actually need missionaries to flood our country as churched as we are and as many Bibles as we have. We need somebody to come to America and shake us up because we have been lulled to sleep like Samson on Delilah's lap. Not even realize the power of the Spirit has gone from us. A lot of busyness, and the church is doing much, but I think to no avail and to no eternal value, sadly. So, that's, Paul, that's what Paul says. My, okay, what's the mystery? Ooh, it's the church. Full access, confidence to God. What's the message? The unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship, the joint partnership called the church. Now, let's move on, lastly, because I, I want to finish with me Paul talks about the mystery, the message, and now he talks about himself, but I want you to put yourself in his place. Two things Paul reveals in the text. His character, okay, it's going to be his, his um, 
that's the second thing. I'm sorry. The, the first thing is his roles. What roles God has given him. And then what character God has required. So let's look at this. Now I'm going to walk you quickly through this. Chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to walk through the verse, first 13 verses. And check out the me part. So you've got the mystery, everybody. You guys have the message. Now let's listen to the me. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. First of all, he's a prisoner. But he's not a prisoner of Rome. He's disobeyed no Roman law. He's not, a, he's not a prisoner of Nero. He has not gone against Nero. He is a prisoner of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus. This is a note of dignity and triumph, that no matter what condition of life God places you, you submit and follow. Listen, God is good. God is good to me. And God is good at being God. And Paul knew that. If anybody could have been bitter to God, it would have been Paul. His travels have been squelched. He can't go and preach to Spain or any place in Asia Minor. He can't go back to Jerusalem. He is stuck. He is stuck in a small room, tied to Roman soldiers. And yet he has complete triumph and dignity as he says, I'm not ashamed of Christ. I'm a prisoner for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the ministry. So you know what that tells me? There is a cost in discipleship. Salvation, completely free. Right? But if you really want to be a follower of Jesus, it will cost you something. For Paul, it cost him his freedom. He could have chosen not to be a disciple or a follower of Christ, and he would never have been arrested because he never would have reached a Gentile. But because he did, a huge cost was involved. So what, what's, what's, your, what's your Christian walk costing you? He was a prisoner. Secondly, He was a steward. Look at what it says. If indeed, or literally since indeed, it's a first class condition, since indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me. This word dispensation, so first of all, he's a prisoner. Second of all, it says dispensation of the grace of God. The word dispensation means a steward. A steward. He he was given a stewardship. Literally, it means the owner of the house has turned the affairs over to somebody else, and it was Paul. God is the householder, and he has given to us a stewardship. Does that make sense? He's, he's turned, literally God, listen, the God of creation and of redemption has given you and I charge over the affairs of the gospel. Scary. Would you put your wealth in charge of a crooked banker? or a crooked financial officer, or a financial dude, or whatever you call him? Would you do that? Would you leave your life savings in the hands of somebody you don't trust, that they would either spend it or lose it? No, you'd be foolish to. But yet, the God of heaven has given you and I the entrustment of the gospel, and he's going to hold us account for it someday. And what have we done with such a rich treasure as the gospel? And the church, by the way. The church is part of that package. So, you know, we are stewards. And in 1 Corinthians 4, there's a great verse. It is required in a steward that they be found faithful. I'll tell you what. If there's anything that God is absolutely requiring you for, that you're going to be, God is going to review with you on a final day, there's going to be a little appointment you and him have. 
He's going to say, were you faithful? Okay, I'm just telling you. I'm telling you right now. And boy, thank you for being here tonight. You're faithful. But, um, but, but, but I'm just, but, and listen, and there are times when we can't be here. I realize that. Don't, don't, I, listen, I'm not ever saying somebody has to be at church 100% of the time. I'm not even at church 100% of the time. I mean, I need a break. Of a, but when I'm gone, we're still at church, but not this one. But do you see what I'm saying? I'm just, I'm saying, I was talking to somebody this afternoon about this. Paul Lobb, you know, I, I love Paul Lobb. He went to be with the Lord a few years ago. He would say this, if on the way to church, your cow falls in the ditch, by all means, get your cow out of the ditch. You'll skip church, get your cow out of the ditch. But if every time you go to church, your cow falls in the ditch, either kill the cow or fill the ditch. You know, <laughs> don't always come up with an excuse to be out of here. You know, that's what he, and, and I'll tell you what, we are given a stewardship like Paul was. There's a cost to our following Christ, but we're stewards. And he's going to say, what did you do with the gospel, and what did you do with the church? And I'll tell you what, he's going to look, he's not looking for how many numbers you got. He's not like, oh man, you got 100 people saved, way to go. Oh, you got 50 saved, you're not as good. He He doesn't look at it like that. We look at it like that. He doesn't. He looks at, were you faithful? Were you there? It's the easiest thing you can do. So up. Um, kind of be lonely here if it was just Melissa and I. I mean, I wouldn't mind it, but it'd be lonely, but I'm glad you guys are all here. So that's secondly. Look at third. He goes on. How, verse three. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already. That's the church that just came out of nowhere after 4,000 years. By which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Two things. He's a teacher of truth. He understands the knowledge of the church. He was given understanding of the knowledge of the truth, so he's a teacher of the truth. You know what you really need to be good at? Be good at giving the gospel and be good at explaining what should a real church look like. Not like what color carpet, but like what should a church be like? How should the members work together? How should the gifts be used? You know there's two types of gifts, speaking gifts and serving gifts. Some have both. Some have one or the other. And then there's different kinds of speaking gifts. And there's different kinds of serving gifts. But if you're not using your gift, then the body isn't healthy and there's something wrong. So these are things that we should know and be able to teach to others. So he's a teacher. He's a prisoner. He's a steward. He's a teacher. And last, he's a servant. I just read that in verse 7. He became a minister according to the gift. By the way, minister is not the caller you know, high minister or reverend. That's not what he's... The word minister, it's the word deacon. And everybody knows this in our church, if you've been here for a while. The word deacon comes from the Greek, to cut through the dust. To cut through the dust. What, what do you mean? Why would a deacon be... Why would the definition of a deacon in the Greek be to cut through the dust? Here's why. Because they didn't have always fancy floors. They had dust, dirt floors... And often in restaurants, you just had a dirt floor. And you would be so quick to serve a, to serve a table 
you would leave, you would cut through the dust and leave a little trail of dust. You'd be so quick to go over here and help this person. Then you're over here and help this person. You're just serving. You're busy serving. That's what the word deacon means. They're servants. They're servants of the church. And Paul says, God made me a servant, a servant to the church. So he's a prisoner, he's a steward, he's a teacher, he's a servant. Then let's quickly talk about his, his character. Verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given. Less than the least of all the saints, it's a new word in the Greek. In English, we would say leaster. He's the leaster of them all. But literally, that's what it says. Okay. Does Paul know he's got a capital? I mean, he's got a city named after him. That's the capital of our state. I mean, if, Paul would, if somebody would have said, Paul, 2,000 years after you're dead, um, they're going to have a, a state capital in Minnesota named after you, St. Paulos, St. Paul. He'd be like, who am I? I'm the leastest of the leastest. You know? Talk, talk about humility. All right. Real quick. You guys, i got to finish this up. If I was God and I wanted to propagate the gospel to the Gentiles, I would not pick the most arrogant, the most taught, the Pharisee of Pharisees, Saul of Tarsus. He is like the most anti-Gentile person you could get. And yet God, in his wisdom, takes the foolishness of man and says, I'm going to take the, the, the greatest hater of Gentiles, convert his soul, and then make him go to the Gentiles. So Paul's like, when God chose me, man, he chose the least of the least. That, that was, Paul, never, Paul never, he never wanted to be on the same street as a Gentile. He didn't want to touch something that somebody touched after a Gentile touched it. He was so sick of Gentiles. And yet God saves him and says, go to the Gentiles. Me? See, how, see the humility? Listen, there is nothing great in me and there's nothing great in you. There's something more great in you than me, but nonetheless, there's nothing really great in any of us. We're all big zeros, right? It's all by the grace of God. So nobody goes around thinking they're great in the church. We're just, we're just parts of the body. All right, at least, so humility. And then, listen, he says in verse 8, this grace was given. Talk about grace. Taking an enemy of the Gentiles and changing it. It's all by grace. Paul didn't deserve it. The message is one of not deserving, and the recipients don't deserve it. There's nothing about anything in the gospel that we deserve. It's all grace, grace, grace. So there's humility. He was given grace, which is what we need. We need humility. We need to be given grace. And then let's skip all the way down, just for the sake of time. Verse 11. According to the eternal purpose, this whole church age, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence, which in the Old Testament you never had with God. You never had boldness. You never had confidence. Do you remember Samson? Remember Samson's dad? God shows, the angel of the Lord, Jesus, shows up to Samson's mom. The dad's not around. He's busy. Shows up to the mom alone. And then Samson's, before Samson was born, then Manoah said, well, let me know if that guy shows up again. They don't know it's God, all right? Then the angel of the Lord shows up again, and then Manoah gets a face-to-face with this angel, and then he realizes, this is God. You know, he runs back to his wife. You know what he says? We're going to die. We just, I just saw God. Because there was no confidence when you approach a holy God in the Old Testament at all. 
But Paul says, we have boldness and confidence and access to the holy God of heaven. So his character, humility, full of grace, and trusting the Lord. Just full of grace and full of faith. Trust, trusting the Lord. Confidence through faith. That's how we get it, through faith in him. Therefore, Paul says, I asked, do not lose heart. Do not grow faint about the gospel at my tribulations or my trials that he's going through on their behalf. It's for their glory. All right? All right, well, that's just the parenthesis. Next week, we'll do the prayer. I'll take two messages to do the prayer next week. Great stuff, isn't it? Great. Well, let's turn our attention to the bread and the cup.